these Lenten practices that we commit to of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, that's what they do. Prayer, what it basically says is there's a God and I am not him. And so I need to submit myself to him and trust in him and have a relationship with him. That's what prayer is. And then fasting and almsgiving are basically saying, I'm going to strip myself of my desire for the things of the flesh and the things of this world. And I'm going to say no to them or give them away. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on this podcast before, but I once worked at a bank and I ended up losing my job on the very first day. It's kind of embarrassing. So what happened was I was getting trained to work at the uh, the teller desk and a woman came up and she asked me if I could check her balance. So I pushed her over. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 149. That's just a, a dad joke. I didn't really push a, a woman over, obviously. Uh, but hopefully that joke brought you a little joy. Uh, so good to be back with you. If you're listening for the first time, please make sure you rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. And if you've never done that before, please go do that. The best way you can share this podcast with others is word of mouth. And if you do that also on social media, make sure you tag us at Man of Food for Thought on Instagram. And you can find all of our other social media and contact information on our website, manafoodforthought.com, all spelled out. On there, you can also find all of our previous podcasts, our blogs, uh, all of our other content. You can click on the Patreon tab when you first get to the website. And you can become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month to keep this podcast uh, on the air and to pay for the hosting fees and the the other things that are associated cost-wise with the podcast. So I want to make a special thank you and shout out to all of our patrons. Thank you for doing that, keeping us going. Uh, so grateful for you. Let's get into our joy, junk, and Jesus for this episode. So um, I'm recording this on Valentine's Day, uh, so very excited about that. Um, I'm going to start with junk. That has nothing to do with the fact that it's Valentine's Day, but I just thought I would share that with you. Uh, but my junk has been that like every, well, not everyone, the ladies in my house, Hannah and my wife in particular, have been sick. And um, yeah, it's just been, you know, it's hard to see them go through that. And our schedules have to change because when, our, our, especially when one of our kids is sick, we don't want to ask, you know, someone to come watch them. So we can, you know, we rely on my in-laws a lot at the beginning of the week. Um, you know, so we can divide and conquer with work and jobs and other things going on. So it throws our whole schedule into the air. And, um, yeah, so that was a big bummer. Um, and we had just some financial stuff hit us in this past like week or two, um, which is, we're fine, you know, but it just like, it was unexpected. And I was just like, oh man, that, that hurts, you know? So, um, but I know God is good and God will provide. And so, the joy is everyone is feeling better. I have somehow avoided this. So has my son. Um, and as a result of uh, them getting better and Hannah getting better actually very, very quickly, she was able to go to her Valentine's Day party day at school today. And we get to um, have our date night tonight. My wife and I um, go get to go on a date that I planned. Um, but if our you know, Hannah was still sick. We weren't going to rely on other people watching her. So they didn't get sick. So we wouldn't have been able to go. So, um, yeah, very happy that that all worked out. My Jesus moment is that even in the midst of all this sickness and the financial stuff and other things just piling up and just it being very busy and, and chaotic, I feel like in life and in, in ministry and all the events and things that are coming up, um, 
I don't know. I've just kind of had an awareness and a sensitivity to the fact that like, I know Lent is coming up and I can tell that the devil is really trying to throw me off and really cause me to fall into my old kind of patterns of sin or comfort to try and cope with all this mess that's going on. And it's really just caused me to recognize like how God is there and how he provides when it's not easy and when it's difficult. And those are the moments that are really testing of that trust. And you know, to be honest, I probably have not done that well in that regard in the past. And so it's good to see and encouraging. I'm very grateful that um, God is working in my life in such a way right now where I'm just kind of recognizing like those negative patterns and choosing to pursue and see the good. So I hope that's encouragement to you as you approach Lent. I feel like every time we get into Lent um, in the spiritual, you know, side of things like the spiritual warfare and the attack from the devil and the battle. It's just like, it's like when it rains, it pours. I feel like that's true of a lot of people that I talk to and, and encounter during the season of Lent. And so just know that things are going to happen and maybe already are happening that the devil is going to use to throw you off or that he himself is specifically throwing at you and do not be shaken up. Do not be led astray or away from how God is desiring to work in your life this Lenten season. So that being said, Lent, I want to talk a little bit about Lent in this podcast episode uh, because I think it, it flows really well from the second reading for this upcoming Sunday, which is not yet Lent. It's the seventh Sunday in ordinary time. <clears throat> and we're still in the letter of First uh, Corinthians, first letter that Paul writes to Corinth, a community in Greece that he helped found that became uh, a very uh, big and influential uh, epicenter in the early church. But in the midst of this community forming, it was a very multifaceted, multicultural uh, group of Christians from all different walks of life in this city that was a huge trade, uh, secular, pagan, religious epicenter of all these different types of practices. And so Paul is writing to instruct people like, how do you deal with some of the things people are bringing in from their old way of life, from paganism, from you know sexual immorality, from other things? And how do you all agree and work well, minister well together <clears throat> in the midst of all this tension. So this is what he writes uh, in this week's uh, second reading. So it's chapter 3 from the first letter of Corinthians, verses 16 through 23. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For the temple of God, which you are, is holy. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you considers himself wise in this age, let him become a fool so as to become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the eyes of God. For it is written, God catches the wise in their own ruses. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Let no one boast about human beings, for everything belongs to you, Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All belongs to you and you to Christ and Christ to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what stood out for me in this is just kind of, first of all, this overwhelming um, theme of God sees differently than the world does. And that you are something special in the eyes of God. You are set apart. You are holy. You're not meant to be like the world. And Lent is really an experience of setting ourselves apart from the world. 
I mean, we do certain practices, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving in order to say no to the things that a lot of other people might have no problem saying yes to. And I was reading something today that said, you know, sin looks fun. You know, if it didn't, we would all be saints. Like it looks fun. It looks appealing because sin, what sin is, is just a distortion of something that is true, good, and or beautiful. So there is goodness in there. There is good desire or motivation behind the things that we do when we sin. We're just fulfilling them in a distorted or corrupted way. We're, we're looking for maybe the right thing, but in the wrong places. So when I read this, I see an invitation to enter into Lent as one who is kind of humble and able to be open to receive whatever the prompting of the Spirit is that I should be committing to, whatever I should be uh, putting on the table for to be transformed in my life. That, that one line especially, you know, um, if anyone among you considers himself wise in this age, let him become a fool so as to become wise. And I heard this line this week, I shared a Bible study, that God is not drawn to our holiness, but to our helplessness. You know, we can appear very wise and learned and very spiritual and very, you know, um, accomplished. In fact, I've, I've heard a couple times someone use this phrase about someone, usually someone who's passed away or someone who's older, but they said, oh yeah, that person's like, they're super Catholic. And what they always mean by that is that they're very involved. They do a lot of things at their church. Okay, they never mean, anytime I've ever heard someone say that phrase about someone, oh yeah, they're super Catholic. It always has to do with the things they do. It never has to do about like they're deeply in love with the Lord and you can tell that they're a disciple because of the joyful way they live their life. It's never about that when someone uses that phrase. And so in, in the context of this reading, we rely on just those surface level things like God is not drawn to that. In fact, we are repelling God when we do that. We're telling God, I don't need you. I have everything that I need unto myself. Look how holy I am. What draws God in is our helplessness. When we come to him, we say, God, I I don't know what to do. I I don't have anything to place my name upon. I'm just humbly coming before you. And so these Lenten practices that we commit to of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, that's what they do. Prayer, what it basically says is there's a God and I am not him. And so I need to submit myself to him and trust in him and have a relationship with him. That's what prayer is. And then fasting and almsgiving are basically saying, I'm going to strip myself of my desire for the things of the flesh and the things of this world. And I'm going to say no to them or give them away. And so Lent is really like a journey into this flip upside down to set ourselves apart from the world. And what I like about this reading is it starts with how bodily it is. You know, we forget sometimes that our soul and body are connected. Everything that we do to our body affects our soul. Everything that we do to our soul affects our body, our mind, all in that as well. And so these three things, these three components of who we are affect us completely. That's why the Shema, the great prayer, uh, daily prayer of ancient Israelites, of the Jewish people, says, you know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all these different facets of who you are, because one on its own is not enough. It's deficient. It's like taking away the leg of a stool. And if you don't have those three legs of mind, body, and soul all oriented toward the same purpose, you're going to be off balance and eventually you will fall. And so it made me think about the ways in which mind, body, and soul might be an invitation for you to reflect, you know, how do you want to be different Easter morning? What is God calling you um, to set aside or to transform in your life? And so with your mind, it might be, you know, 
how do I phrase it? So let me, let me phrase this this way. I think that these three things, your mind, your body, and your soul, they correspond to three main temptations that we have that were warned about in Ephesians chapter two. In Ephesians chapter two, it talks about following the age of this world. It talks about following the ruler of the power of the air, which is the devil. And then it talks about living, um, who lives among us in the desires of the flesh. Okay. So that's in Ephesians chapter two. So this is the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you've ever heard those three things, these are the main sources of temptation and sin in our life. And I think these three things directly correspond to mind, body, and soul. That when we're really struggling in, in terms of, you know, sinfulness or corruption of the mind, it's because we're so focused on worldly things. Sins of the world. What is everyone else doing? What should I be into? Um, and, and looking at social media and all of that, all of that spikes these increases that we see in depression and anxiety and how we see ourselves, And we call those things mental health issues that they're affecting very deeply our concept of self, our mind, our mental health. And the corresponding practice during the season of Lent is almsgiving. It's not about look at how I want to be every like, like the world and all that I can get from it, how the world can notice me. It's what do I have to offer to the world and how can I detach from the things of the world, the things that I grasp onto and let go and give them away, serve others in my time and my talent and my treasure to give back so that I am not attached to these things. When it comes to the body, that's the sins of the flesh. And no matter what those sins tend to be, any of these that you confess, I hear time and time and time again, if someone's struggling with a bodily addiction, let's say drugs, alcohol, uh, sex, pornography, masturbation, whatever it might be, like time and time again, if you go to a priest, if you go to a, you know, a Catholic therapist, if you try and get this thing um, reconciled or rooted out of your life, the number one thing that is recommended is fasting. Because what fasting does is it gives you command over your fleshly desires, over your bodily desires, and gives you, develops in you the power to say no to them. And when you can do that, we can build that practice up, you begin to break those habitual ways that you don't even realize that you just are giving yourself permission to say yes, 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 over and over and over again. And it seems like, like you don't even have to desire the sin sometimes. It's just become so routine that, oh, I have the opportunity. I'm just going to fall right into it. And so a lot of times that can seem like an unbreakable cycle. But something, some, a practice that can really give you the command and the strength of will to intervene in those moments, even if it's something that you've been really rooted in for a very long time, fasting is what we are invited to do. And lastly, the soul, the things of the soul, the main temptation is the things that are not of God, which are the devil, you know, temptation, sinful practices, idolatry, you know, whatever it is, worshiping something other than God, basically. And how do we circumvent that? Prayer. So these three main temptations of mind, body, and soul, the temptations of wor the world, the flesh, and the devil are directly answered by the three practices we are called to during Lent, almsgiving, fasting, and prayer. And so... I think that can be a way in which you and I can begin to reflect on what the Lord is calling us to do. That these are not just three things that we do because we're supposed to, and then on Easter Sunday, we revert back to who we were before Lent. That is a wrong way to approach Lent. Lent begins next week, 
And the question you need to ask yourself is how do you want to be different mentally, physically, spiritually on Easter morning? But you have to keep in mind, am I doing these things for my glory or for the glory of the Lord? Okay, Lent is not a second chance at your New Year's resolution. Lent is not, okay, I meant, I, I did mean it on my New Year's resolution when I was going to exercise and I was going to give up sugar, but, you know, we stay up late on New Year's Eve and that's hard to do when you wake up, you know, the next day. So I didn't really do that well. So now I'm going to try again during Lent. That is not what Lent is about. It's not a New Year's resolution. It's not something you're trying to better yourself, even though you will be better as a result. It's something or the things in your life recognizing what is standing in the way of me being the person God created me to be? What is standing in the way of me being in a deeper and more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? What are the obstacles? What are the attachments that I'm holding on to that are keeping my hands and my fists clenched and preventing them from being open to receive what God has in store for me? So we need to enter Lent with humility and ask, how can I be better in, in the ways of God? How can I be better... Uh, Yeah. Am I asking instead, how can I be better in the ways that I want or in the ways of the world? Am I treating this like self-help or I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm really going to hustle at my work or my side job during Lent so I can really be better. That's not what Lent is about. It's about how can I be more of a person that God created me to be? So what needs to be rooted out of your life for good? We should not have this mentality that we're going to go through Lent. We're going to sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice so we can gorge on Easter Sunday. I'm going to give up cake so that on Easter Sunday I can eat an entire three tiers. Like, no, that is not what Lent is about. It's about looking at your life and saying, you know, this is something that I have an attachment to. And it takes a lot of my time or my resources or my energy. And I don't think that that should be holding so much of my time or holding so much of my attention. Or I don't think I should be relying on the fact that I need this every day in order to have a good day or to feel good. And so it's about looking at those different practices and seeing what needs to change. And then on top of that is asking then, what might I, with the freedom of time, money, resources, attention, whatever it is, what now am I going to commit to to fill that gap? Because it's not like, well, I'm really attached to video games, so I should really stop doing those so I have more time for the Lord. But you make no commitment, and then all halfway through Lent, all you're ending up doing is playing computer games instead. Like, you're just filling it with something just as unhelpful. So with each something that you're saying no to, you have to have a recognition of what am I now saying yes to as a result. Or if you're committing, I want to commit to, you know, uh, 15 minutes of daily prayer. Okay, as a result of that, yes, what do you now have to say no to? Well, I have to say no to hitting my snooze alarm or I have to say no to 15 more minutes of sleep. You know, you have to have those things in mind when you make your commitments of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving so that you know what am I either committing to or getting rid of and what then is taking the place of that. You know, how am I saying no when I'm also saying yes to all of those things, if that makes sense. So if I'm giving something up, if I'm fasting, what am I doing about that? What am I going to do when I'm hungry? I'm going to offer that as a prayer for someone. Or if I'm giving up sugar, Um, what am I going to do to ensure that I'm not going to fall into that temptation? How do I surround myself with healthy food, healthy habits? And how do I do this not as a diet, but as something that's rooted in prayer and is a sacrifice for other people and is a way in which I'm commanding attention over my body and some self-control so I can say no to sin. If I am fasting from a particularly sinful habit, what am I going to do with that extra time 
that I would normally be falling into that sin? Or if I'm triggered to go into that sin, what am I doing instead? Do I have a, uh, what's that called? A contingency plan in place. Do I have people holding me accountable? If I want to commit to more prayer, when is that going to happen? What do I have to say no to to make that happen? So I often like to say like, you, you know, you should fast from something that is really like unhealthy in your life, whether it's a sinful practice or like a physical fleshly desire thing, offering that as a prayer for others when I am tempted. And then the money you save from that or the time you no longer have for that, give that in service for others, either donate it or offer your time to volunteer. And you can kind of encapsulate all three of them in this one kind of main effort to detach from something or break some cycle in your life. Uh, however, look at each of those three areas and whatever is resonating with you after listening to this, whatever kind of it glaringly is brought to the surface, um, like right now, just think about like, what do you feel like you can't go a single day without? And I want you to sift through the answers to that and what really be honest about what really is necessary. Because if you said like coffee, um, you know, a certain addiction, a certain TV show, like, you know, whatever it is. Those things are the things that I think God is really putting on your mind or your heart right now to consider, hey, could you give this up so that I can give you something better? Could you detach from this so you're not so uh, tied down by it so I can take you to places that you never would have been able to go before spiritually because you're so worried about just earthly things or worldly things that you're not seeing this great spiritual opportunity that I have for you, for your growth, for your transformation, whatever it is. So think about mind, body, and soul. What are three things you can do or commit to, maybe practices you can do every day to cultivate the mind, body, soul in a positive way? Or think about what are those main temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil? How do you answer them with these practices of almsgiving, fasting, and prayer? And when you make those commitments... Ensure that you know what you're saying yes to and what you're saying no to, and you have a plan in place with accountability. Tell this to other people who can hold you accountable so that you can enter into Lent in a way where you're journeying to a better version of yourself Easter morning, and you're not just going to revert back to whatever you were doing before Lent. That's not what Lent is about. So take the opportunity to really bring this to prayer and imagine what transformation could happen in your life if you wholeheartedly enter Lent in the way that it's intended to be experienced. That's all I have for you this week, my brothers and sisters. God bless you, and until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. Bye.